Quick, what does every sports fan need on the internet? I think the answer is a VPN. If you thought about getting a VPN, now's the time to do it, and we at Latron.com use NordVPN. And get this, we used Nord before they approached us about promoting it. In our book, it's the best VPN out there. With over 5,000 locations, you can be anywhere on the internet when you want to be, and your traffic is secure. Super fast, blazing speeds, and six different devices can use Nord at the same time. So we, at Let'sRun.com, all use one account. Secure your traffic and stream your sports straight from the source. You got track meets in Estonia, Lithuania. Sometimes you need, I don't know, IP addresses from those places. Major League Baseball season starts tomorrow. Need to access the internet from somewhere else? A VPN is great for that as well. We've got a link in the show notes or go to letsrun.com slash VPN. Not sure you want to do it? We've got a 30-day money-back guarantee. Sign up for a year. This is only 5 bucks a month. Secure your internet traffic today. It's the ultimate for sports fans. Let'srun.com slash VPN. Welcome everyone to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Another busy weekend of running to digest, and we are here to help you out with that. Natalie Cook has broken the high school record in the 5,000 meters at the Stanford Invite. Kane Spikele and Sarah Hall are out of the 2022 Boston Marathon, but London champ Cissé Lemma and 202 man Bahanu Legese are in. Jonathan Jones of Texas has run super fast in the 400 meters and the 4x4. I think Mo and RJ Wilson are set to meet in the Penn Relays on April 30th. And there's a big time track meet this weekend in Bermuda? A lot of track to discuss this week. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by my co-hosts, or tri-hosts, as Robert would prefer, and the co-founders of Let's Run.com. That's Robert Johnson and Weldon Johnson. But before we get to all of that, guys, I'm going to channel Ice Cube from 22 Jump Street. Let's not pretend that there isn't a huge effing elephant in the room right now. And that was the 2022 World Cup draw. Alright, I apologize folks, Robert has just been taught by someone how to use these sound effects and he's probably going to be using them way more liberally and unnecessarily than usual. I don't know why you're playing taps right now, is that because taps for the US men's national team because you know you're going to get destroyed by England in Group B on Black Friday, November 25th, a team that barely qualified for the World Cup and didn't make it to the last one is facing... One of the greatest teams in the world. Some would say the World Cup favorite, semifinalists in 2018. That's England. Are you guys mentally prepared for the destruction we're going to lay at your hands on Black Friday? I played t- taps, Jonathan, because this podcast is on borrowed time. I'm sure 233 days from now, the Civil War, let's run, will be too much for us to overcome. And the podcast will be breaking up. 
It's interesting because, Robert, you're not usually a big soccer fan, but you care about the U.S. men's national team. You will be texting during these qualifiers when USA is playing like Honduras or, you know, the CONCACAF rabble that you guys face. And you say, oh, this is a big game for us. And I'm like, all right, you know, CONCACAF's kind of one of the JV federations, but it's cute how much you guys care about it. So you'll definitely be taking the World Cup seriously. I need to reach out to human resources to see if I should stop texting you because I text you all the time after hours, whenever I'm watching sports. And I think it might be an invasion of privacy. And I know young people don't like the bosses sort of bothering them during their personal lives. Cause I, now when you don't text, if you don't text back, I was like, wow, John must have a girlfriend now. He's not texting back as much. But then I thought with that, or he's just tired of me texting him and his, his muting me. So I'm glad you're at least acknowledging you're getting the text, John. Yeah, I just don't have thoughts on every U.S. men's national team qualifier. Again, a team that I don't support. So <laughs> it's nice that you care, but I'm not always going to have some reaction to it or some witty comeback. I'm making myself the CEO of Let's Run and in charge of human resources. The constant references to the girlfriend is probably more of a problem, Robert, than the late night text. But this England-USA game is great. For those of you guys new to the podcast... John is half British, half American, citizen of both countries. He's turned his back on America, and he only roots for England in soccer. But this game, it's like a free roll for the USA. Robert, if we lose, we're supposed to lose. We'll just downplay it and get on with our lives. If we win and stay undefeated versus England in the World Cup, our history, we've never lost to England. This will be great. John probably, I mean, but I am, Robert, I would be worried about his mental health and stuff. How would he do? This is a young guy. His teams always win the Super Bowl. They win the World Series, all this other stuff. He's from this coddled generation. He's not going to know how to handle it. This could be, he really might leave <laughs> what? the company. Do you know anything about the history of the English national team in World Cups, Weldon? I, when I came over here, it was a relief because England has done nothing but break my heart in these tournaments year after year. We always lose on penalties or in some heartbreaking fashion, or we just get embarrassed and get knocked out by Iceland in the round of 16 at the Euros. So, yes, I'm used to the failure. You're saying I turn my back on America. I never rooted for the U.S. national team. It's always been England. So I don't understand how you're, you're making that argument. But I wouldn't be being I wouldn't be honest with the Let's Run podcast community if I wasn't saying that in the back of my mind, I was somewhat terrified for this group because the potential for embarrassment is unlike anything I've ever witnessed as an England fan. I mean, I've seen us not qualify for the European Championships. I was there in 2007 when we lost at home to Croatia. That was embarrassing. But this World Cup group has the United States, Iran, and potentially Scotland. It's got Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine is the final member of the group. If England somehow fails to advance from a group that contains Scotland which is our oldest rival, and the United States. I don't know if we ever live it down. It's like Duke fans losing to, you know, Coach K losing to North Carolina in their final game. That's just a a stain permanently on the history of English football. So I'm really hoping we advance. I think we will. But if we don't, we're going to be hearing about it forever. Don't John and I have a bet on this podcast? I said that the U.S. would win the World Cup before England. Anyways, enough. World Cup talk. I am an American. I love America. That's why I'm wearing my red, white, and blue 
Let's Run t-shirt. You can get yours today. We now have a new color, shop.letsrun.com. People are buying lots and lots of the blues. We also have a new shirt out, folks. People, did you see I see our April Fool's page? Did it once again, and we announced some new merchandise. The Burrito Track Club shirt is here. Selling like hotcakes. A little controversial that we made it. And I'd like to exp- to address that. You can get yours now at shop.letsrun.com. But Jonathan Gall didn't feel real comfortable about the shirt because I agree. Doping is a serious matter. And with the Shelby Houlihan case, either it's a great travesty and she's innocent or she's lying through her teeth. I guess there's a third option. If she got it, she doesn't know how she got it. But I, I can see why people say you, you shouldn't make these shirts at all. But I think of us at Let's Run as we represent the fans. So much in sports, it's always the owners and the athletes. No one ever thinks about the fans. The fans have their opinion one way or the other. So that's what the forum's for. Express your opinion. Here in this shirt, hey, if you're a Shelby hand, you believe in burrito story, you can buy it. If you don't believe it, you can buy it. But there is one caveat. Some people don't like this. All of the money. If we, make any, if we sell a shirt, the difference between the price and the cost, I'm sending that to Miss Shelby Houlihan herself for her defense fund. Some people are very opposed to that. They do not like that. We've gotten some emails. I'm like, hey, if you think she's dirty, you should still like her getting a full defense. I don't have to see why anyone have a problem with that. It's like the cops. Have them wear the, the body cameras and let the facts be where they are. Well, I'm not a fan of this for two reasons. One, as I said, you're mining her personal tragedy for humor. And two, I don't think it's our role as Let's Run.com to be sending funds to Shelby Houlihan for her legal defense. Even if you do believe her, I I just don't think that's our role in the sport to be doing that. So those are my two issues with this. See, there we have it. John's already determined that it's her personal tragedy. So, so a lot of people probably have a more problem. John is that confident. This is her personal tragedy. And John, Robert can't take. It's it's hard to believe, but he doesn't like the criticism. I'm not right. The, I'm not sure what the word is, but as a cop out of what you just described as taking advantage of personal tragedy, he's like, oh, so I won't do that. I'll give her the money. It's just like just make the T-shirt, sell them, and keep the money. Could easily be the capitalist way to do it or the smart way to do it. But hey, the real issue with April Fools was something I did. Well, let's run, but I will take responsibility for this was because this was my idea. I stepped in it. Usually Rojo is the one who's viewed as controversial. The sad thing is people thought Rojo wrote this article. I wrote most of it. And that was a sarcastic April Fools piece saying that we had changed our views on transgender women competing in elite sport and that we were fine with it and they had no advantage and she should be allowed to compete. I really missed the mark with this piece. A lot of people support this idea, said I offended them because it wasn't funny. So it came across as sort of mocking a serious issue. That wasn't my intent. But and kind of people thought I was punching down at transgender people or instead of punching up at elites who hold this view. But so I'm sorry for that. We have taken da- I've taken down the article and now replaced it with an apology. So you can check that out yourselves as well. 
you guys, you guys actually, John, you, you, you told me you, you were not a fan of the article. So I'm also sorry for any trouble I brought you in, on Twitter or elsewhere, but this is, you know, it is, it is a sensitive subject. And I, I know by writing it, you know, you're not going to make fans, but uh, the attempt, it was received well worse than I wanted it to. So sorry to everybody out there. I think moving forward, best case scenario for let's run, maybe just to be like CBS. Anything that's controversial, we just don't mention it. Did you guys realize they did not mention one time on the broadcast that NCAA championship game broadcast that Kansas is under major investigation for having Adidas pay all their players? Anyways, let's talk about running, guys. Got a lot to talk about. So what are you excited about, Robert? We have Natalie Cook. We've got Jonathan Jones, Texas star, running fast in a dual meet with Texas A&M. But I feel like the one you're most interested in right now is Kenny Sabakele withdrawing from the Boston Marathon. Now, this isn't exactly a shock. You know, he doesn't have the greatest track record for making it to the start line. But, you know, I know that both of you guys are excited. I think Weldon said specifically he was going to come cover the Boston Marathon because Bekele's running. You seemed excited by it now. So I guess... Two questions. What are your thoughts on this? And also, are you guys still going to be coming up to Boston to cover the race now that the GOAT isn't in it? Moment of silence for the great Kenny Sipikaley's career. John, I'm devastated. Look, when we started Let's Run, when I went to college and became a fan of track and field, I wasn't a – well, Bakili wasn't the guy then. It was Haile G. Haile G was my ATM password when I went to college. I was always a Geb fan over Bakili. But Geb's been gone. I didn't even like Bakili. And But I, I've liked him recently. I don't know if it's just – he's the tie to my past. He's like Tom Brady or Mike Krzyzewski for a lot of people. Like their whole lives, they've been involved in the sport. He's been there. And he's – the. The bond to my youth is gone. I think this is it for him. I think his career, I was just, uh, you're right, John. It's not a surprise. When he didn't run Tokyo, I kind of thought, is he going to run Boston? Because, I, you know, Josh Herman said, we want to keep him busy. We got we, we can't have the New York. We, we got to have him run Berlin, then New York. So then I'm like, okay, if you want to have him run every three months, that's fine. Then have him do Tokyo and Boston. He doesn't even sign up for Tokyo. And now he's out of Boston. So uh, this could be it for him. 39 years of age. Look at these personal bets, 725, 1237, 2617, 201, 41. Trivia fact, did you guys realize he's never broken 60 minutes for the half marathon? But, man, I was hoping he'd be in this race. When I was in New York in the fall and he was there, I almost I wanted to almost pull an Alan Abramson and be unprofessional and get my picture taken with him. Like, I just – it was fun. It was like, I was a fan. I, I felt like a kid. I'm like, Oh my God, this is Bikile. He's the man, but I'm afraid this is it for him. What about you guys? I'm a little worried as well. I'm not as fatalistic as you like you, Robert. I did have a reverence for Bikile growing up when I was in high school. That was when he was at the peak of his powers. And just before my senior year, I remember at a pool party at my friend's house, I somehow convinced them to put the Olympic 5,000 final on like this big inflatable screen outside and we were able to watch it. And it was just a masterpiece. Still one of my favorite races ever. So the fact that 
his career might be coming to an end. Kind of worries me. Now, I did uh, reach out to his agent, Yoss Hermans, and said, you know, why did he withdraw from Boston? And his response to me was that he had recovered from injury, so he had been injured recently, but not enough time to prepare for a good performance. His next race after New York, he wants to be top fitness and show something special. So basically what we've heard from Bekele and his camp the last few years is they still want to be, they think he can be the best in the world in marathon. You know, they think that he might not, you know, we, we've seen, he may not have the dedication to the marathon that Kipchoge does, but he does have the, the engine and the talent. We've seen him run 201.41. That's just two seconds off Kipchoge's world record. The question is, can he get to that level? Because he hasn't really shown anything in the two years since Berlin, but that's kind of what happened before. Like, he ran when he won Berlin the first time in 2016, he runs 20303. He didn't do a whole lot for the next three years, but then he goes to Berlin and he runs 20141. So they're thinking maybe something similar like to that could happen. The problem is he turns 40 in June. So I think he just has to have an honest talk. You know, Bekele needs to sit down and think, what am I in the sport for? Is it still to be the best in the world? And can I do that? And maybe for a legend like him who has been at the top level for so long it takes longer to let go and to really come to that realization you can't get there. But maybe he thinks, heck, yeah, I can. You know, I'm going to give it a go through the full marathon season or something. So I'm not totally writing off, writing him off, but I think it's more probable than not that we don't see another elite marathon from Kenanisa Bekele. I think he'll run another elite marathon. The money's still too good. But... Probably for I don't know how many years now I've been wondering. I'm like I'm like this is it. This is it. I will still be in Boston, John. I think I got my press pass on Monday, and he pulled out of the race on Tuesday. Not sure if those are related, but Robert, I think we were there. Were Were you in Austin? That's the first World Cross Country. He got a medal at 2002. When did Austin host the World Cross Country Championships? Well done. Oh, excuse me, 2001. Pretty sure I was there. Oh, you mean Ostend, the one in Belgium. I thought you were saying Austin, Texas. Oh, no. Yes. Sorry to my Belgian speakers, French speakers. But, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, he, he was... I was trying to make the 2003 Worlds at the 10K. And that's the, the first one he won. So, I mean, what a career it's like it's just a completely different era when you look back i mean paula radcliffe was had yet to emerge as a marathoner then she was at those cross-country championships it's like i just read a great piece on tiger woods new york times the 1997 masters with paul azinger and colin montgomery his you know chief rivals Look, I feel like I've been sabotaged here. John asked me if the career's done. I, I just give my gut instinct, yes. Then I realize John's got a quote saying the career's not done. No, it's not done. I want to revert, re- ignore everything you just heard from me. It's not done. I, I've done a little research. That quote got me a beat that he would actually been training, got hurt, and now is healthy. So, I mean, Herman's is uh, at least Herman's gets back to us. Some people like the unprofessional USATF doesn't ever even get back to us when we ask him for comment. So that's got me pumped. And do you guys realize, I mean, 39 is not over, Bekele. If you think about it this way, 
Do you guys realize how old Matt Kafleski was when he won Boston? He was like a month out from his 39th birthday. He won that in April of 2014. He turned 39 in May, of tw- uh, May, May 5th. So if Bekele's talent level compared to Meb is astronomical. So if they, if the birth date's actually legit, I think he can do something. World record? I don't think so. Look at what Kipchoge is doing. Kipchoge and Bekele came up around the same time. Kipchoge is officially a couple years younger, but they've been at this this level for about the same time. Kipchoge is showing no signs of slowing down. Now, just two things I want to clarify. One, when I said I don't think he'll run an elite marathon again, that didn't mean I don't think he'll be in the elite field. It means I do not think he will produce another elite marathon performance. And I guess you can quibble with like third in Berlin last year in 206. It was a warm day. Is that an elite performance? I don't know. I think it was pretty good. I wouldn't say like, wow, that's really a vintage Bekele performance. So I'm not expecting one of those. But the other thing I want to clarify, Robert, that's two uses of taps on this episode of the podcast. I'll let you have one more if you really want it, but then I'm cutting you off. We're going to take away your microphone. I don't want you going too crazy with this new soundboard you've discovered. Like, do we play taps for Robert playing taps in the show? Like, if he plays taps, that's a fi- farewell to the last time he plays taps. I don't know. We're getting a little too inside baseball there. But Look, John, when you have a kid, you don't have a much of a social life, particularly during COVID. And my wife has forbidden me from buying any more technology gadgets in the house. So I had to buy something for the office. And I finally figured – someone said – John said someone taught Rojo. No, I taught myself how to do this. And I, I do have another sound effect I want to play right here. It's unrelated running, but I've got to do a Rojo's rant. You mentioned Tiger Woods briefly. Is anyone else just outraged? This is so embarrassing. I keep getting ESPN alerts and every website I go to. Is Tiger going to be running the, I mean, excuse me, playing in the damn Masters? And then Tiger comes out yesterday. I was like, of course he's going to be playing in the Masters if he's practicing for it. And this is the dumbest thing ever. Why is he building up hype about whether he's going to do it? And then yesterday he comes out, as of now, so this is Tuesday, as of now I'm going to play in the golf tournament on Thursday. This isn't like he's going to war. This is something that like plenty of 75-year-old, out of shape, completely fat people do every 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 day play a round of golf like this is ridiculous this is embarrassing it's beneath tiger particularly since he says i think i can win the tournament so you think you can win the tournament on tuesday but you still want to have the drama of whether you actually show up for your tea time on thursday stop this is embarrassing this is like way beneath you it's just people get excited by tiger woods and the people covering the sport are going to pump up everything he says so i don't really I don't know, it's just the media environment in which we live. Speaking of Tiger and the Masters, did you guys see this thing about his shoes? Is he wearing Vaporflies? No, John, but he will not be wearing Nikes. He showed up at Augusta wearing Foot Joys, which is it's not even owned by Nike. You know, Nike's been a sponsor from the, from the get-go. But the, the question of whether Tiger can play the Masters is whether he can actually walk the course. I think that's harder for him than because he really messed up his foot in the car accident. Here's a quote I see. I needed something different, more stable. But, I mean, Nike. And Nike took the high road. 
shows who's got the power in this relationship. Nike statement. Like golf fans around the world, we're delighted to see Tiger back on the course. He is an incredible athlete, and it's phenomenal to see him returning to the game at this level. So, hey, all you runners out there, you want to run a different pair of shoes, I'm sure Nike will be understanding, right? I, I think it's great because it's Tiger. He needs to compete. For, I, I'm shocked that Nike couldn't overnight make him some shoe that's super comfortable for him. Wouldn't spend a couple million dollars doing that, actually. But good for them letting him compete. I guess he said, look, maybe the, is the money just that good? He's just like, I'll quit. I don't care. Maybe maybe Nike gets more exposure from this. I know that they're not saying that it's, he's not wearing the shoes, but the fact that you're even bringing up Nike's name, Nike Golf, on this podcast, we're talking about it. I wouldn't have even thought. I would have just taken it as a given. Now it's a reminder. Oh, yeah, Nike is sponsor, sponsoring Tiger, and they're letting him do this. Whatever. Don't really care about any of this. I want to talk about running. Boston Marathon. Bekele's out of the field. And this was like, oh, we're like, oh man, it's a bummer. But then you look at the rest of the release from the BAA here, and Robert had this thought, and I think he's correct. Did this field actually get better? After Bekele withdrew, obviously you want him from a name recognition standpoint. And they also lost Titus Akira, who was the world leader last year at 202.57. But the two guys they brought in to replace him are really good. Well, three guys, in fact. Cissé Lemma, reigning London Marathon champion. So that's basically like the world's best marathoner award outside of Kip- Elliot Kipchoge. And then Bahanu Legese who is the fourth fastest man of all time, 202.48 PB. And Kinde Atenor, who's run 203.51, was the Valencia champion in 2019. Now, I am a little worried, but Legese, I usually hype him up in our previews. I get excited by him, but he didn't have a great London last fall, and he's also had some issues even getting it to the start line of these races. Remember, he didn't run the Ethiopian trials last year because he was banged up. And then he was supposed to run Tokyo this year and didn't run that race either. So maybe it's like, well, he wasn't ready for Tokyo and he'll be ready for Boston. I hope that's what the case is. But I do have a little, you know, I'm a little concerned he may, might not be able to make it to the start line. But Cissé Lemma, I mean, you've got the reigning London champion. You've also got the reigning New York champion in Albert Correa, who's the World Marathon Majors champion from last year. And you've also got the reigning Boston champion, Benson Cabrudo. So that's a pretty great field. Then you add in Cam Worrell, you add in Lawrence Toronto, you add in Evans Chibet, who's run 203 flat, won Valencia in 2020. It's really good, and you could argue better, even with the withdrawal of Bekele. It's not better, John. It's like, it's the Tiger Woods better with is the Tiger Woods. See, I just said it. Is the Masters better with Tiger Woods in it or without him? It's better with him in it. Even though the field's technically better, yes, I get it. I mean, this Boston, it's still, I think it's probably the best Boston Marathon maybe ever, for sure, in sort of the 21st century because there's no London Marathon. As you noted, you got the Boston champ, York champ, London champ, plus Jeffrey Cram were the biggest name. Orange Toronto, pretty big name. But we need storylines. We need the Tigers of the world, especially our sport, which just doesn't have many names. I mean, you and I know who 
Jeffrey Cameron and Warren Strono are. But a lot of people that that those names mean nothing, but they might know who Bekele is. <laughs> yeah, I no, I agree. That's a good point, Weldon. But I think the there's an opportunity here. Is how does Bekele become Bekele? It's because he piles up six wins the World Cross Country Championships long race. It's because he breaks the world record. It's because he wins all these big time races. Same thing. Harry Kipchoge become Kipchoge. He kept winning marathons. So against the best of the best. So what I'm hopeful of here is, yeah, okay, Albert Correa, he's pretty anonymous in f- as far as World Marathon Major Series champions go. He got that by winning New York and finishing second in New York. Benson Kiprudo, still not a huge name. Cissé Lemmer, I'd say, is a little more prominent than either of them. But again, they're not like massive megastars in this event. But my hope is when they race each other in this one race, if one of them wins... Then you start building up that brand. You're saying, okay, this guy, he won one major. Then he won Boston when everyone was there. And that's how you start minting stars. So I'm hoping that we can get that sort of thing. And the winner in Boston, that that's the, or it could be Toronto, who's already won a couple of majors, or Jeffrey Camborough, who's already had a lot of success in World Cross, World Half, and has won New York twice. He's already, I would say, Camorra, as far as running times, he's already a star. But, you know, the hope is that when all these guys race each other, you can build more stars because the winner is going to be, you know, coming out on top of a very big field. Yeah, personally, as a fan, I want Camorra to win. I think that's how, how you get the stars, the guys who have won, won on multiple services. But... I'm excited. Still excited. Here's the question I have for you guys. I put this on the message board. It was almost all upvotes, but I phrased it slightly different on the message board. Is Bekele, I mean, he's a Boston Marathon participant, right? I mean, my, I, I, when I heard the news and someone said, Rojo, what do you think? I said, oh, man, the Rojo curse strikes again. My guy Bekele now has raced as many Boston marathons as year as my guy Yared Nagus is running the Olympics. So hell, they've got the same number of Bostons that I have. John, is can I say Bekele a Boston marathon participant? I don't like this drive by slander of Yared Nagus. This is ridiculous. Robert was his biggest backer. You predicted from a long time out he was gonna make the Olympic marathon the Olympic team. He made the Olympic team. They doesn't run in Tokyo. He doesn't jog through his preliminary. Like, Robert would be a total Yard Nagus fan if he ran six minutes for his 1500 heat and got eliminated. But because he chose not to do that and embarrass him, like, well, maybe make a mockery of the sport, Rojo's now turned around and just fires pot shots at him. I, I can't abide that, Robert. You're, I feel like you're a traitor here. No, I like your, and I understand why they didn't do it, because if you get a serious hamstring issue, it can bother you for the rest of the career, your career. My hamstring still bothers me. You know, I wasn't nearly as good as your Goose. So, and if he if he does take one step and then walk off the track, people would be more epileptic. I get it. It's just, as a fan, it kind of sucks. It's like, wait a minute, is he an Olympian? I would say, yes, he's an Olympian. And no, Bikile is not a Boston Marathoner. Although Bikile did qualify. I guess he could go and drop out. Oh, I was going to say, did he qualify during the window? But yeah, he ran those two marathons last fall. So yes, he did qualify. Okay. Other Boston Marathon news. Sarah Hall's out. I'm 
not totally surprised by this if you've just sort of been reading the tea leaves. She, re- I mean, she ran 222 in Tokyo and she was banged up. She did suffer that fall and she had a knee injury in Tokyo ahead of Tokyo. Still ran pretty well there. Went out aggressively. She was on American record pace about through halfway and just couldn't hold on. But nothing to be ashamed of there. But then she comes back to New York and two weeks later, she can only she's only 12th at the New York City Half Marathon. She runs 70-54 there. And she'd been posted on Instagram, you know, her knee's still bothering her. And just decided, you know, she's been d- between the New York City Half, which is a bit of a hilly course, and then the training been doing in Flagstaff on hills to prepare for Boston. She said she knew that, well, this is her quote, the course in Boston puts me at great risk of a major setback. It's improving, but how my knee responds to the downhills and training at New York City half has confirmed this. So Sarah's big, aggressive 2022 started out with an American record in the half marathon in Houston. Okay result in Tokyo, not what she was hoping for. But now she won't run Boston. And she can basically just focus on getting her knee healthy and running the World Championships Marathon in July in Eugene. So it's kind of, you know, feel a little bad for her, but I understand it. And personally, I think the course in Boston, she hasn't been a great hill runner in her career anyway. So wouldn't have favored her as much as, you know, a race on a flatter course. It's not that surprising. I talked to her after New York. And she was scheduled to like hop on a plane right there and fly to Ethiopia and train there for the hills of Boston. She's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go. When I heard that, I'm like, okay. Obviously, something's bothering her. She doesn't have access to her physios, and I think she sees John Ball in Phoenix if she's in Ethiopia. So it's a prudent decision. Also, I'd like to know how the money works. Express to finish at some level in Boston to get some money. I'm not sure. I'd be tempted to get the appearance fee, but she she runs so many marathons a year. I wonder if these appearance fees start might changing. Are, uh, do you guys think there's a chance well, we, we would need more marathons that top people are running four marathons a year regularly? Maybe down the line with the super shoes, you need to be a certain kind of runner. You know, Sarah Hall is someone who recovers very quickly. CJ Albertson recovers very quickly, but I don't think we're at that point yet, especially for the typical marathoner. I do think from an appearance fee standpoint, I mean, Sarah ran Tokyo, but I can't imagine she got a huge appearance fee to run there when she's not one of the very best women in the field. Boston, I don't think you really get anything for scratching at this point. And then she's running the World Championships Marathon, which doesn't have an appearance fee. So... You know, she probably hasn't made that much. I'm sure she got a nice contract bonus for that American record in Houston, but she'll be trying to, if she's going to cash in, it'll be in the fall in New York or Chicago. Look, I'm happy she didn't run this race. She's not going to ever do well in Boston, Boston anyway. She's a terrible hill runner, but this is smart long-term thinking. I don't want to destroy my career, hurt my knee, not doing well in hills. John's, but y'all bluffed out the other story. Kaylin Taylor, 224, also out for America, but more importantly, the entire Ethiopian Olympic team. Rosa Dereja, Tijik Germa, Zanebe Yimmer, 218, 219, 219, also out. Now, New York, uh, Boston did that in Ababel. Yashanad, the former half marathon world record holder, and who was third in New York City Marathon, and Etanakin Waldu, who was second in Valencia in 220 in her debut. So, women's field is definitely taking a hit. But congrats to Mary Cat Shea, the lead athlete director, for adding 
these people to both the men's and women's field to try to make up for it. I'm just curious, like these people who are at it, like what were they going to do? We're what, two weeks out, three weeks out? Like what was the plan? That is a great question, Robert. Someone like Legese, I understand, because Legese was supposed to run Tokyo, he scratched, now he's running Boston. So maybe he was just wasn't recovered. But like, yeah, Cissé Lemma, the London Marathon champion, wasn't going to run a spring marathon? I I am I'm kind of curious to know the backstory behind that. I assume, I mean, and by the way, we did interview Mary Catche, look it up in the podcast archives, you know, elite athlete coordinator. We talked a little bit about the money, but it's like, I assume you're just training trying to get in shape knowing you're going to race and then hopefully you can get appearance fee. It's even better. But if not, you could go to some race, I guess, and just try to win it and get the money. Or you try to run a fast time and improve your future. Like if you run 202 or something or 203 in Rotterdam, which is this weekend, you improve your time moving forward, makes you more attractive candidate. But all right, that's a lot of the Boston. Mar- we'll have plenty of Boston talk next week because it is Boston marathon weekend. And actually we do have a little, I don't know if it'll be public by the time this episode airs, but we got an email from New Balance this morning about an exciting event they're putting together on the Friday of Boston Marathon weekend. We know that they've got their new indoor facility, the track in Boston, and they're trying to, you know, they're kind of throwing an opening party here. They're going to have some races. And then on Friday night, April 15th, they're going to be trying to break the world record in the, women's indoor DMR. So that used to be held by New Balance by the team of Sydney McLaughlin, Emma Coburn, Brenda Martinez, and Jenny Simpson. It was broken early this year by the Nike Uni Athletics Club team out in Spokane. But now New Balance is coming back and they're assembling another super team. They've got Sydney McLaughlin on the 400 leg, Ellie Parry of St. Pierre on the 1600 leg, Heather McLean on the 1200 leg, and Roisin Willis, the high school indoor record holder, too flat. She's running the 800 legs. So they're basically using the same strategy that they did with Sydney McLaughlin in 2017. They put her with three of their top pros and then put a high schooler on there. And they ended up signing Sydney McLaughlin. So maybe this means they're going after Roisin Willis as well. On paper, this team should break the record. You know, we know that Perry St. Pierre and McLean are fit, they just won national titles. Cindy McLaughlin, this is her first race since the Olympics, but I'm assuming she can sort of roll out of bed and give them a 51 or 52 split. And then Willis, you know, she just broke the high school record a couple months ago. So it should be a fun event. Give people a chance to see that new track in Boston when they're in town for the marathon. I don't think I've ever been excited for an indoor track event in April, John, but I saw this. That's New York Boston Marathon Media Day. I'm like, I think I'm going to stay. I think I'm going to be there for it. There's other events as well. They didn't say what, but I think the track originally was supposed to open on March 1st, but supply chain, I'm sure, John, everything's delayed these days. But I was like, well, they need to have a big event. They need to have some big event this year to do it. So I think waiting to Boston Marathon weekend, you know, obviously you want want to do the ambush grow marketing because Boston is an Adidas event. I mean, the marathon is and this is New Balance, but John, you know better than me. I've heard non-running people, I swear, talk about this track to me, like kind of casual people I know. Or there's some development going on around it, or what else? There's other sports things around it. Someone else, I'm trying to think who this was, was 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 knew about this thing. Yeah, I haven't 
my friends haven't brought this up to me, but the new track, it's in the same facility as the Boston Celtics practice facility and as the Boston Bruins practice facility. It's right by the New Balance World Headquarters. They're all in the same area. They're trying to build up that part of the city. So it wouldn't surprise me if they get some main, some press just saying like, yeah, it's right in this whole facility of the Boston sports teams. But I haven't really heard anyone outside of running circles bring it up to me. Um, I think it's one of my hockey buddies, so that makes sense. Your hockey buddies? Yeah, wait, you have hockey buddies? Chris Kreider's my neighbor, guys. You know who that is? Yeah, he used to play for the... Does he still play for the Rangers, right? John, we call him the Wayne Gretzky of Rowayton. Chris Kreider has no idea who I am, but I see him. Well, he's back in town, actually, for the summer. He just got a new dog, new puppy. Is it wrong to, like, privately reveal information about famous people who live in your town? But he, I think he's third in the league in scoring. This guy is having his best season ever. At the age of 30. And I, I'm not a hockey guy, but my brother-in-law is. Even my brother-in-law's dad, who's a Cuban immigrant, was like, oh my God, we were walking in town one summer. He goes, oh my God, Chris Kreider. And I was like, who, what? And he's like, we just passed Chris Kreider. And with COVID, I think a lot of, he has a house out here, but he lives in the in the city as well. He started spending more time out here. And just the route where I walk my daughter with my two dogs, I walk right by his house. My dog almost got in a fight with his dog one time. Wow. I didn't expect that. I'm looking it up. He's, I mean, he plays the Rangers, so, you know, I'm a Bruins fan, but he's born in the spring of, he's born in April 1991. He's from Massachusetts. I mean, this guy, I, I, got, I think I have to root for him. If you're a Massachusetts guy, high school class of 2009. Yeah. Support that. Okay. Moving on. Actually, speaking of birthdays, because this has become a contentious topic on Let'sRun.com, among the Let'sRun.com staffers. It came from the week that was. So we were talking about Natalie Cook, who is the star from Flower Mound, Texas. And in the fall, she won the running lane and East Bay Cross Country Championships. And then at Indoor Nationals, she ran 944 for the full two miles, which is Second in high school history, only behind Mary Kane. She also helped Flower Mound break the four-by-mile relay record. And her latest accomplishment is she ran 15.25 at the Stanford Invite to break Jenna Hutchins' high school record in that event. So another really impressive feat by Natalie, especially she tops out about 22 miles a week, she said, off the race, so we, which is just crazy that you can be running that fast on such low mileage. She does a good chunk of cross training. But the thing I just wanted to discuss here, I put in a line in the week that was saying that Tillis DePaya lists her birthday as May 14th, 2003, which means she would turn 19 next month. And I said that was significantly older than a typical high school senior. I stand by that comment. If you're turning 19 in May of your senior year, you're in the wrong grade. You're a year old. And my sister turned 18 in May of her senior year. That was pretty normal for our school. You guys think I'm out of my mind here? I mean, what's wrong with what I'm saying? 
okay, John, people can choose which grade they want to be in these days, right? Uh-oh, shouldn't have gone there. But significantly older. Okay, first of all, I graduated in July. I turned 19 just after I finished high school. My wife turned 19 in May of her senior year, just like... Are we talking about Jenna Hutchings or who we... No, we're talking about, about Natalie Cook. Natalie what Cook. I'm all of you guys are in the wrong grade. If your wife turned 19 when, in her senior year of high school, she should have been, she was in the wrong grade. You guys were in the wrong grade. Like, my, Jenna Hutchins, sorry, not Jenna Hutchins. Natalie Cook is a full year older than some of the people she's competing at. You don't think that's significantly older, Weldon? I think it's smart. My daughter, let's see, she's a May 7th birthday. We hadn't thought about this. Okay, yeah. Do I want to have her kind of normal for a grade or old? Old, baby. Old for sports. Oh, my God. My daughter's going to do the exact same thing. She'll be three years younger. Big development, everyone. My daughter is now walking. I'm trying to teach her to run. You know, she's 22 months old. A little late here, but I tell her fast, fast, fast. I'm just saying, like, I remember someone on this podcast, Robert Johnson, freaking out that Edward Cesarek was a year older than the other kids in his grade when he was in high school. You're saying, oh, these records shouldn't count. You're like... Wait, even when he was in Oregon, you were like, well, wait, he's a year older than everyone. Isn't this a problem? And now you guys are just totally cool. Like, again, this is also based on her Tillis Tapia profile. I've not confirmed 100% that that was her birthday. And frankly, it doesn't make her ineligible. She's still allowed to run and break these records. That's fine. She's still a huge talent. Like, I'm not saying, oh, man, this is totally unfair. I'm just saying that in the normal world, that would be viewed as old for the grave. So, Robert, do you have a problem with this, or are you going to make another rant against her like you did against Cheserak? I don't have a problem with it. I think it's smart. Everyone should redshirt their kids if they can. Why wouldn't you want to be the oldest in your grade instead of the youngest? But is she old for her grade? Yes, by a few months. But like with me, I'm very happy. I matured late. I'm glad my parents didn't put me in the year ahead. I wouldn't, I'd rather be the oldest than the youngest. At some point, someone's got to be the oldest and the youngest. Cheserick is a different case. He was a February birthday. He clearly, you know, that's another four months. Um, Three months. Plus, plus, people think he might have been older than that. I actually had a guy who went to Cheserick's house, talked to people from his high school, and was, we were going to do a story on it. And he just said, I, I don't want to do it, man. I, I like his mom. I don't want to make him look bad, but I've always wondered that. Is there something there in the, in the sense of why hasn't he gotten his citizenship? Did, did it come out that his birth date was wrong? I've always wondered that. That's just me speculating. That's just unnecessary speculation, Robert. It's hard to get citizenship if you don't check and he all didn't the boxes. Stop, he didn't start on it until at the end of his senior year in college. That's why it's taken so long because they got they didn't start on it you know, early enough. I don't think it has anything to do with something you could, it, you really think the U S state department's going to be going over and like, wait, you were 20 in high school when you said you were 19, oh, you can't be a citizen. Like, I, I don't think they're going to be digging that deep, Robert. But I do, you do make a point. It bothered me greatly that he was considered to have all of the high school records. And I guess uh, she probably shouldn't have the high school records. The more I think about it, but is she a great? No, absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. I think you just make a note of it. What if, like Matthew Mayton was 19, I think, when he broke four minutes in the mile in high school. You're like, it's only comes in like you're allowed to compete as a 19 year old if you're in high school. You know, it's not against the rules. You're allowed to be sort of basically one year old. It, 
the what is interesting, Wayne Kaladi, she came over from Eritrea. She, I think, would have turned 20 her senior year of high school. So she actually wasn't allowed to compete as a senior because she was viewed as too old. But Natalie Cook, she's, I mean, she's not too old under the rules. So I don't think you need to be stripping any records or anything. I just think it's something you got to make a note of. Anyway, the, the big story here is she broke this record. She's put together, I think, well, this is one of the greatest seasons I can remember by a high school girl. When you couple in her dominating at those two cross-country national championships, the time she ran indoor track, the time she's run outdoors, I just think it's been a phenomenal campaign for her. It's been phenomenal, but maybe she should be a freshman in high school. But it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, we pointed this out the week that was. I really like to see her get the U.S. under-20 record, which is 15-20.57, set by Wisconsin Sarah DeSanza. So in December of 2014. Now, DeSanza... Her birth date was August of 95. She was a sophomore in college. So this is Cook's last year as a junior, under 20. Yeah, If you turn 20 during the calendar year, that's your last year. So DeSanza was only, you know, born like three months later in the summer. And yet she was a sophomore in college when she was running these times, which which is kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, Cook is absolutely amazing. I, I imagine Dave Smith and Oklahoma State have got to be so excited. I, I think it's cool. Like, I think they've done a good job with her. She doesn't run very much. People, the natural question is, oh my gosh, if she, if she can run more, will she be even better? But there was some something bad about this accomplishment as well. I mean, these guys think her parents were happy. And her mother, Melissa Gully Cook, who was like a professional runner, her PB is fifteen thirty-four. Her daughter has now beaten that at fifteen twenty-five. Do you think she was thinking, slow down, slow down, slow down, or is she thinking, oh man? The super shoes have got to be worth at least nine seconds. What do you guys think? Who has the edge? Put them both in the same shoes. Melissa Gully Cook in her prime or Natalie Cook in her prime? How much are the five of the shoes worth over five k? I think it's right in that, right in that area. So I think it would be pretty interesting head to head matchup. But it is interesting. Yeah, I think I I wonder at what point does mom just acknowledge like wow, she's even better than I was. Like, she's going to be breaking my records at some point. Like, maybe maybe it was like a few months ago. She's just like, yep, that she's going to break my PR at some point. Uh, but it is pretty interesting. Because, yeah, she's co- by, coached by her dad as well. And you got to give him credit, like, for figuring out a w- way to keep her healthy because she battled injuries early in her career. And most athletes, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just say, like, oh, we're only going to run you 20 miles a week or something. You wouldn't think you'd be able to get the work in. But they've found a way to keep her healthy. And, that's always the big thing with some of these superstars, right? Caitlin Tui was injured her senior year and going into college, and now she's found a system that's working with Lori Hennes that's been able to keep her healthy this year, and she's running really, really well. Jenna Hutchins, who was the previous high school record holder in the 5K, broke Tui's record, and then her record was broken by Cook. She hasn't raced in over a year, and she actually enrolled early at BYU. She would have been a senior this year as well in high school, but she graduated early. So she's been battling some injuries. Cook, it's the same thing, you know. Clearly, she's a huge talent. You just got to hope that uh, her her dad has been keeping her healthy so far. You got to hope that continues, and then you got to hope she stays healthy at Oklahoma State. Because if she can, you know, she's going to do some great things. Wait, Jenna Hutchings didn't race the last outdoors either. I think her last race was like right around. It was like April twenty twenty one or so. I don't think she's raced since then. 
But yeah, we don't, I don't want to hype too much ex- expectations on an 18-year-old high school. And yes, Natalie's still only 18 at this point. So, you know, but I just want to appreciate greatness when I see it. And what she's done this year has been great. Yeah, I didn't want to be Debbie Downer just on the birthday. You kind of caught me on an intellectual hypocrisy. I like to be intellectually consistent with Cheswick. But, I mean, it, it's amazing. For the record, her mother ran 1534-3231. Her dad was also an All-American, 1410-2910-21948. And those would not be All-American now for the dad particularly. But the question I have is, who's better right now? Who do you have in a race, Caitlin Tui or Natalie Cook? Natalie Cook would be the NCAA leader in this race when she ran the 1525. She beat, I mean, the, the, the person right behind her was the Colorado woman who is the NCAA leader. So who wins right now? Natalie Cook, Caitlin Tui. That's a good question, Robert. I think I'd go Tui. I mean, she ran 1530 when she was second at NCAAs. We've seen her run 412 for 1500. I think I'd lean towards her because this, again, this race at Stanford, Cook had people to chase. It was get up, you know, they're just chasing times. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a slam dunk. I think it would be an exciting one for people to watch. You know, Robert threw it out there. I thought that was crazy. I'm like, of course, Tuis beats her. She just got second NCAs. It just shows how good Natalie Cook is. But speaking of Tui, there's a fascinating thread in the forums. I think it was called Nico Young and Caitlin Tui speak out. It was about podcasts they were on. And then it sort of devolved into the, the pressure high schoolers face, whether there's like unnecessary pressure and let's run. Which just what you know, whether high schoolers in general face this. I'm just kind of I mean, but I guess we see this in all sport, right? Simone Biles. I mean, she's not a high schooler anymore, but these like, what are these young superstars? It's, it's, you're enviable in one position because of the talent you have, but then there's pressure that comes with it. I think they just need to learn with it, but I don't know. Do you guys know who the, we're talking about the 5K record holder, the men's under 25K record holder is in the United States or more accurately was, yes. Well, didn't didn't Nico Young break it last year? Yeah, who had it before that? German Fernandez. Yep. And you could argue, man, what three fifty five as a freshman in the mile, and this it's not just the women who don't always pan out. But then I'm I'm seeing a thread today. Sadie Inglehart has now run faster than eight hundred meters in a thing mood a thing Mo did at the same age. And I'm like, who's this? It's the latest freshman sensation in California. And because I don't want to put unnecessary pressure on these kids, but it's like, I think them just being good, they're going to be talked about in Let's Run. There's the, well, Let's Run's the one place they're going to be talked about sort of outside of Twitter and stuff. I think it, some of it just comes with the territory, right? right sure, some I mean, people. Basketball phenoms, you, you get a basketball phenom they're talked about every year, when whoever the number one recruit is. Football phenoms get talked about a lot. It's just track doesn't get very much attention at all. So when you are like the one big superstar from that class, yeah, you are going to be talked about. You're going to be talked about on Let's Run. We're going to talk, now, is it overhyping someone to say if they can stay healthy, I think they're going to be a good runner? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think we should be saying, oh, yeah, whatever they do from here is a fit. Like, do I think Jenna Hutchins is a failure because 
she's injured right now and she hasn't done anything since that record? No, it's just that just comes with growing. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think just I don't want to be saying like, oh, my God, you know, this is the next Olympic gold medalist. But I also think it's disingenuous. We cover the sport. We're not we're just going to ignore great performances by high schoolers because they're in high school. I don't think you can do that. Well, no, I think what people don't like is probably when you say, oh, they're not going to amount to anything. That's probably really hard for some high school kid to, to read. And then obviously on an open forum, sometimes you get worse comments than that. But I think some of it's, you're right. Like people were saying, oh, LeBron won't be that good. You know, he's overrated. He's overrated. He's hyped. But if you're a girl runner as well, there's just the history of so many of them don't pan out. There's just a whole nother thing. The other interesting thing about running is you can tell, like, the clock doesn't lie. Like, the thing, Mo, she won the U.S. Indoor Championships as a high school junior, beating Raven Rogers. You know, Natalie Cook, when she runs 15-25, you know exactly how that compares to the best in the country in those events. So it's not a matter of sort of, I guess you can still project, you can say how much can they improve by, but when they drop a performance that is on the level with pros, when Hobbs Kessler runs 334, you know exactly how they stack up against the rest of the country in that event, which you can't always do in high school, you know, in other sports when high schoolers are just playing against other high schoolers. The way I view it in terms of pressure is the same way I viewed the Shelby Houlihan t-shirts. People already have their opinion. Like it's not like let's run created this opinion. Like people were already having this privately just with the internet. It's a more public thing now in a forum. Someone says, Oh, this, I don't think they're going to pan out. I don't, I think they are going to pan out those type of things. Sadie Englehart, we mentioned her on the podcast last week when she ran the 436 mile, which was the, uh, I think a national or California national freshman record. She ran 205 66 for the 1500, but I'm very bullish on Natalie Cook's long-term plan prospects. Why? Because both her parents were good runners. So, I don't think she's a flash in the pan, you know, whatever. I mean, Robert, there's a big one. Yeah, Shelby Houlihan's a pro, though, Robert. Say the Engelhardt's some 15-year-old kid. So we obviously don't allow quite the same discussion, but it. I'm, I'm just kind of glad I wasn't – high school's difficult enough. I guess you should be taught to embrace it. Like, you're really good at this. It may not – try to ignore the detractors. But, man, there's just a lot of extra pressure. There's more pressure these kids in general these days with social media and whatnot. But if you're a phenom, you're going to get it from the lovers and the haters. Okay, speaking of high school phenoms, a couple of them who are now among the best in the world, a thing, Mo, it's been announced by the Penn Relay, she's going to be running the 600 at Penn on April 30th. And I noticed in an article that was linked to on our homepage a few days ago by Jeff Benjamin for on blog run, RJ Wilson also said she's going to be running the 600 at Penn Relays on April 30th. So you got the world indoor champion against the Olympic champion, two Jersey girls. Do you guys think this is actually going to happen? Because they were scheduled to race each other in the 800 Milrose, and then a week before the race, the thing Mo moves up to the mile. And as much as I, I love, see, I'd love to see this showdown. I think it would be terrific. 600 meters, two of America's biggest stars. But I've also covered this sport long enough to know that these matchups often don't tend to materialize. Someone will pull out, someone will move to another event. 
So are you excited for this? And do you think we actually see them racing each other, RJ Wilson and Thing Mo on April 30th at Penn? If they're both listed, yes. They're both from Jersey. Why wouldn't they do it? I think you're. this isn't the sprint world where they're not going to do it unless they get a ridiculous appearance fee. And am I excited for it? Of course. I give the edge to the 400-meter star. I think, well. The fact that it's 600, I think it might happen. I think they're less likely to race 800 right now for whatever reason. Um, I wish they were racing 800, though. But they both have this sort of, what, New Jersey connection, right? So, which is Penn's backyard. I'm trying to think. Ajay runs Penn sometimes, right? Yeah, she's. I mean, she's run races in Philly a lot because she's based right there. And also, I mean, the other thing is they're scheduled to race each other at the pre-classic on May 28th, over 800 meters. So... That's also, I mean, maybe, yeah, the fact that they are running 600, maybe they are more likely to race. But we're going to see this matchup before USA's this year. Well, you think we, you think we are. Well, yeah, we're, we're supposed to see it twice at this now. I just hope we see it at least once. Okay, the fact that they created some obscure event, the 600, and they're both listed, yeah, it's going to happen. They like specifically aren't having them race 800, so... That makes me think more likely this one could actually hold up. I don't expect much from Ajay Wilson at versus a thing mode 600. I mean, I think she might have trouble going to pick a thing at 800. So I'm definitely going to pick her at 600. But stars of the sport, racing at Penn, you know, in April, it, it's cool. Tons of, you know, youth people are there. It's, more people go to Penn than any other track meet in America, right? More people will be at the Penn Relays in one day than any, than more people will be at any one day at the World Track Championships. True or false? One session, I guess I should say. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, I don't know if there's a Texas State meet or California State meet, how many people fit in those stadiums, but I would guess probably Penn. I mean, I think Penn sometimes gets what, like 40,000 people, but that might be spread out over the day. There may, you know, I'm not sure what the exact attendance figure at any one time is, but there's some speculation on the message boards that Hayward Field's not going to have 20,000 people for Worlds this year. You know, it might be under that even. So I'm, I'm highly skeptical of that because the current capacity is about 12,500, 12,600. And there's not a huge amount of room. The only spot that you can really add seats is that open north end of the stadium. Are they going to be able to add 8,000 in those sections? I I am skeptical of whether it'll get to 20,000. Actually, maybe we should reach out to the organizers and see what the official capacity is going to be for the World Championships because we need to bring Ken Go out of retirement and have him count every seat at Haywood Field in the world championship, you know, setup, because I would like to know exactly how many it is. It's definitely not going to be 30,000, which was supposed to be the required amount. And yeah, 20,000. If you gave me over under, I think I'd go under. Yeah. I reached out, I think in November, don't quote me on this, but I feel like they've said, Oh, it's going to be 20 to 25 somewhere in there. But then I was looking at the 
ticket seating diagram, looking at this thread, and I'm pretty confident it's going to be under 20. Because to add 8,000 temporary seats isn't easy. There's not much space. And then you look at what they have. They're already selling tickets. They just don't look like there's that many temporary seats, although they look like th there's some. But I mean, I may pull a Ken Go myself, John, just counting up myself. Yeah, I'm not really too bothered by if they don't hit 20,000. Like, as long as the atmosphere is good, as if you can get fi 15,000 people and it's full, it's going to be better than, you know, 30,000 seats and you've only got you know, you've got 10,000 of them empty. So I'm fairly, I'm confident there's going to be a good atmosphere, a worthy atmosphere of the World Championships. It's just not going to be as big as in, you know, some previous years. They, I mean, let's not pretend that Doha was like sold out. Doha Thank you. was crazy. They had these old sections cordoned off. So I think it's going to be a better atmosphere than that. I was about to just go there, John, that the world's in Eugene is going to be way better than the world's in Doha in terms of atmosphere. Uh, or anyone ever been to Portland Timbers game? People in Oregon? I don't know what that capacity is there. I'm going to say somewhere around 20, but it's an amazing atmosphere. So it's going to be raucous. It's a beautiful stadium. Um, but I, I, I don't think there will actually be that many people in attendance. Look, it does bother me. I don't like Nike getting away with breaking the rules. You got a minimum standard for, for holding a world. They don't meet it and they still get to host the world. And I, I don't want to say it. I was going to say a town called Eugene, Oregon. Maybe beat that out if you can. Like, that what, was really what, come on, what do you mean? You like Eugene. You love going to Eugene. If I loved going to Eugene, I'd be going out there. I used to love going out there. I'm tired of going out there four times a year to go cover a track meet. Like, <laughs> how in the world does USATF think that every, holding every big meet in Eugene is a good idea? Like, uh, I, 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 it, it blows my mind. I mean, Max Siegel goes into hiding, never talks about his vision for the sport, never does any media interviews. All we do is just Nike, 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 bow down to them, put everything in Eugene. Like, I do not like it, but... If you guys want the actual numbers, 2008, the trials reported attendance figures of over 20,000, 20,964 on Friday night, 20,604 on Saturday afternoon, when the listed capacity for Hayward Field was 16,000. So that included credential athletes, coaches, and volunteers. So, uh, you know, talking about pin relays, pin relays has been known to unofficially get, well, officially get 49 or 50,000 people. I'm looking, 2008, they got 49,000 on Saturday. 50,000 people in 2002. I don't believe those numbers anywhere close to that. Like, I mean, nowhere close to that. Like, it, it, if you count up the actual number of fans in the stadium at one time at Penn, nothing close to that. I would say maybe half that. Um, Texas Relays, John asked about Texas. The Texas Relays were just last weekend. They had 49,315 total attendance. The final day attendance was 20,159. So I, I think we can get 20,000 in, in, in a track meet. I mean, we do that fairly consistently, but some of these numbers are just made up to begin with. I just want to call Robert out on something here. Now, first of all, I don't think Eugene's a town. Are there parts of it that aren't great? Sure. Wait, okay. but... should, we, should, we beat, should we beat them as out, Weldon? No, you already said it. It's entertaining. It's just whatever. Come on, man. Man, Rojo just has really lost the fastball. But yeah, the areas around the stadium are nice. I like going to Eugene multiple times a year. I'm fine with that, but Robert, you say, oh, I don't want to be going to Eugene four times a year. You didn't go for the trials last year. Are you going to go for any meets this year? Because I don't want you saying, 
oh, it's an excuse. There are too many meets here. Yet you don't go to any of them. Are you are you planning on going to any track meet in Eugene, Oregon in 2022? Yes, I will go to Eugene for a track meet. But, but this is my point. Why would a track fan? It's first of all, it's expensive to get to these places, but that's just the nature. But would a track fan? I mean, to get the fact that you can't, we can't get twenty thousand people from our, the entire world to go to the world championships every year. You think there would be fifty thousand track fans across the globe that would just fly every two years or every four years just to go to the meet? Like it's not even that many people. Like, but why would a track fan? You know, are, are you really so? Maybe you're a coach or something. You go out to Eugene for NCAs, then you're going to go back for USAs if you're a track fan, and then you're going to go back for Worlds. No, you're going to pick one trip and go to. But maybe if maybe if you know you're a track fan and you live in Texas and they have the trials in Texas, you go to Texas and you go to Eugene. I agree. I don't think it's great that the four biggest track meets in the United States this year, which is the Prefontaine Classic, the NCAA Outdoor Championships, the U.S. Outdoor Championships and the World Championships are all happening in Eugene within the span of two months. I think you're right, Robert. Yeah, have one of those meets in Texas or Sacramento or something like that. But at the same time, there aren't that many other cities in the United States that have consistently shown they're able to draw a lot of people coming to the meet. You know, pre-classic has to be in Eugene. But, you know, you hold USAs in Des Moines. I was in Des Moines. The, The crowd's well, not that big when they host it. Like, you're going to get a bigger crowd in Eugene for hosting these meets than almost any other city. There aren't that other many cities, A, who have the facility, and B, the willingness to host them. So part of it is that that's part of the problem. But I do agree. There are, you know, have one of these things at Mount Sat, you know? That's what I... They've got a brand new stadium there, and they haven't hosted any sort of championships yet. So I'd like to see Mount Sat host something sometime. There's a difference between USA's and the Olympic trials. If you hold the Olympic trials in any small city in America, people are patriotic and they will go to it. I went to the trials in New Orleans. There was tons of people there. I mean, look up the historical trials, attendance figures. People always show up for the trials, period. It should never be held in Eugene as a result of that. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Never having the trials in Eugene. I mean, hey, maybe, the best maybe, track maybe. facility in the country. They, just, they, they have a good fan base. You're going to say, oh, here's your penalty for not going, your penalty for supporting this thing so well and having the ability to host so many meets is you don't get to host the biggest track meet in the United States. I don't think that's fair, but I also agree it shouldn't be there every time. At most, every other trials, once every eight years, I would probably say once every 12 or 16. Maybe once every 12, so every generation of kids, one time they head out to Eugene. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine having Eugene, and then they just alternate between Eugene and some other random spot for the trials, uh, you know, until someone else kind of proves they're wanting to host it and could do a great job every time. All right, a couple other things. Wait, what other thing, John? You always say no one else can host it. What do you mean? There's thousands of tracks across the country. I don't understand that concept. Because you, there are thousands of tracks, but you need to have the infrastructure around the track, Robert. You need to have... It, you know, it needs to be sort of a like for world championships, for example, it needs to be like a level five stadium or whatever. Basically, you need like, you know, you need the rail, you need the ability to put in timing systems, you need the ability to host TV setups and stuff like that. You need the area, you know, what press areas, mix zones. Like, there are a lot of different things, like a warm up track. 
there are lots of different things that go into having a facility ho- capable of hosting a national championships. All the field stuff needs to be aligned correctly. Like even look at Franklin Field. They've got a huge freaking stadium, but because the track is kind of aligned funny, you have those weird inside lanes, they don't host any USATF meets. So it's not just as simple as saying, oh, everyone just go down to your high school track and we'll have the trials there. Like you need a lot of things that in order to host a national championships. Well, Austin seems like a good possibility. There's not a practice track, but go to some high school nearby. Eugene's practice track is what, just that little thing next to it? It's not a full track, but I saw something. Did you guys see this? The world's originally Tokyo, they destroyed their practice track from the Olympics. So they said they weren't going to be allowed to host the world championships. And I think the IWF's going to acquiesce and let them have it, which makes sense. We we got to get over some of these just stringent stuff. Like these guys can't run if they don't have a practice check. I don't know. Put them underneath the stadium somewhere. These are professional athletes. They can survive without a whatever some four hundred meter practice track next ne- next door. There's ways to do this. We got to think about the health and viability of the sport. Well, well, I agree. Austin would be great. I had a great time at the 2019 NCAA's. They're hosting NCAA's next year, but you got. You got to have a body that's willing to bid for and host the meets, and maybe Austin is. But from what, from what I have heard, or I haven't heard any, I don't remember ever hearing. Oh, Austin's bidding to host the USATF Nationals. I can't ever remember that being part of a conversation. And there needs to be a will, and maybe there is. Maybe now that Coach Flo's there, they want to do that. But I haven't really heard them as being interested in bidding for nationals. Well, I mean, the heat's a problem in Texas, but now that they're moving the 10K away a lot of the time. I mean, Olympic trials maybe doesn't make sense, but like if you move the 10K away, 5K in Austin isn't that bad in June. I mean, you could do it. The heat was an issue with the trials last year. Like it was 110 degrees. You know, if you run the, I agree, it's not ideal. But yeah, if you're having the 10K at a separate site, then you have the 5K late at night. It might be an issue for the multis, but I think there is a way to have a a USATF national championships in Austin. And if I was the head of USATF, I would think outside the box. How many events are there, John? 18? Have it in Bermuda? Well, not, that, not that outside the box, but what if you had 18 different hosts? No. The it's, dumbest I mean, thing I've ever heard. Would you have a 400-meter hurdle race somewhere? I mean, come on, Robert. No yeah, one would show ridiculous. up for it. It would, be, it would be cool. You have the, the shot put at the Dartmouth track with Adam Nilsson and you have the such and such in this place. I mean, maybe not 18, but you could do a, 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 you could have a throws championship every year in South Dakota or somewhere where they're big in throws in the vault, put the vault, wherever the vault summit is and fine. Maybe do this in the, on the off year, something like that. When the track fans going to want to watch that. If I'm a track fan, I want to tune in and watch two hours of track and field, the national championships. I don't want to have to tune in during 17 separate TV windows to watch all the events. It's just ridiculous. No, I'm not doing 17 different team sessions. You just do. For, you, you, you combine them all on TV at once. They're not going to be able to do that live. Come though. On. No, this is a ridiculous idea. It's not a ridiculous idea. It's a great idea. Think outside the box. When is the last time Max Eagle came up with an innovative idea? I can say never. We have USATF Bermuda this weekend. Okay. All right. Apparently, I'm getting too excited here. I've got some texts from my roommates saying I get too excited. I'm yelling a little bit on the podcast, and I get too excited, and I need to tone it down. They're having trouble getting work done. So 
Apparently, I'm being too passionate here, guys. Or I just need to record in a separate studio, soundproof these walls or something. But You do have a terrible setup. We need to get John some... If you live in the Boston area and can build John a set and some soundproofing walls, I'll pay you. Email me, Robert at Let's Run, Robert at Let's Run. He has like a terrible camera setup, Mike. It's, it's embarrassing. What, what do you mean terrible camera setup? It's my microphone. I never have any problems with the microphone. It, didn't John used to have a Brighton flag in the background? There should be some background. Yeah, the backdrop. I need to improve on that. All right. A couple other things. I just want to talk quickly about Jonathan Jones, the 800-meter runner-up NCAA indoors for Texas. He had been a 400 runner his first couple of years at Texas, and he'd run the 800 and 1500 as a high schooler in Barbados. And then he comes up and they turn him into a four, you know, he's running the 400. He runs 44 point. But then this year he just starts running the 800 again, finishes runner up in NCAA. So we're like, Oh, maybe he, you know, he belongs to the 800, but then he comes out, Texas A&M dual meet. He runs 4507. It's the NCAA leader. And then on the relay, he splits 43-4-8. I was just blown away. I mean, I knew he's a 44-second guy in the 400, so maybe I shouldn't be shocked. But to see a guy who got second in the NCAA 800 then split 43-4 in the relay a few weeks later, I was just astounded by how good this guy is. I guess my question is, like, 400-800, which one would you have him which event should he be focusing on? Or is it cool? Can he just do both? Can he be the Alberta Wants Arena of the NCAA? I think now Johnny keeps focusing on both. I, I mean, if you asked me two weeks ago, I'd have said the guy's future is at 800. He hasn't run that great at 400. You need to run 44 low consistently to be a world-class in the 400. But well, obviously what he's doing is working. So there might be a path for him in both these events. Is he sort of like a male, a thing, Mo? I mean, frankly, I love it. I don't think we have enough 400, 800 runs in the world. It's really cool to see a guy who can do both at a high level. I, yeah, I don't know what event he's going to run at NCAAs, but I'm going to be excited to see it. The interesting thing I thought is in this relay, he was going up against Brandon Miller, who is the, NCAA champion in the indoor 800 and he got the baton about a second a second and a half behind Miller so he did make up that gap but then coming down the home straight they're just going out at mano a mano right next to each other I thought it was a really exciting race that was until the final handoff when the Texas A&M anchor immediately pulled up lame so unfortunately the final leg wasn't exciting but yeah I think it's great to see someone being able to excel at both of those events and I'm going to be excited to follow his career. I think he's probably, I don't know. Which one does he have the more potential in? I mean, Emmanuel Corey is another guy. He's the Olympic champion in the 100, but he didn't make the Olympic, the world championship final in 2019. He did make the world championship final in the 400. So we've got a few of them between both Olympic champions right now and now Jonathan Jones. I think he should do the 800. He's 23 now. It's not like he's that young. He was running. He tried the 400 for a long time. I'm not saying he was bad at it. I mean, 44, 63, 2019. Remember that race? I mean, that was in London, but that came a few weeks after I think it was Monaco when 
a couple guys didn't know that they called the start back and he ran the whole race in lane seven. I unofficially had him at 44 nine. So, you know, he, he's, I guess he's probably in the form of his life this year in the 400, but that's the thing. I mean, a couple, I didn't get that many when I was coaching the Cornell, that many of the best 400 guys, but some of them wanted to move up. And the more prominent ones we did, they didn't get any slower at 400 by training for the 800. We still kept that 400 speed going. So, uh, you know, but I, I think the one thing that's interesting about it is we think, oh, it's going to take a number of years. No. no. No, 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 Anyone remember the name Patrick Dobek? He moved up from the 400 hurdles and he won an Olympic medal all one year of the 800. So I, I think we'll find out real quickly what his potential is in this event. Now, he's coming more I – mean, I know we're big on pronunciation here, John. For the record, it's mano a mano. Maybe that's the, the British way is mano a mano. But oh, I'm sorry. To, I, yeah, I, I thought so. I also corrected you when you said Ostend before in terms of the World Cross Country site, and I I was just confused because I thought you said Austin, Texas, but you might have pronounced it correctly. I don't. I didn't mean to incorrectly correct you. I just wanted to make sure that I understood what you were saying, and now I do. My my wife says I can't speak English, so. But for all of our Spanish viewers and listeners, I had to make the correction. All right. I think that's most of what I wanted to cover, but then I have seen here in our Google Docs, it says, Rojo's secret page has lots of things. Don't forget, Rojo. So... I, we all know Robert has his separate secret document that he uses to prepare for this podcast. Can you enlighten us, Robert, about these great topics you've lined up that you didn't tell me and Weldon about before the podcast? Well, I brought most of them up already. I mean, I, uh, the year in the goose and the Kennedy Bekele joke I wanted to bring up, I thought that was very clever. I wanted to bring up the fact that apparently there's a big theory on, you know, the allegations against the Kansas NCAA basketball team. But then I was reading this article about it. And the whole thing is like Bill Self may have been smart enough not to pay the players himself, but Adidas will just pay the players to send them. So this is kind of sad. Two Adidas shoe reps are in prison right now. They're in prison for paying guys to go to Kansas. And then Kansas sued one of the guys to try to act like they were unaware and were harmed by this. So these guys are helping the school win basketball games these two guys are now in prison. No one's talking about them. Um, and then the Bill Self's argument was, well, how much do you think Nike's paying the guys to go to Duke? So Duke's got this crystal clear reputation of we don't do anything. So it's just a classic behind-the-scenes corruption that, that we don't get our lids on. Remember, folks, John Wooden, the, the guy regarded as the greatest basketball player coach ever, he had players that were paid to go to UCLA back in the 70s. So the world's been corrupt a lot longer than we realize. So just wanted to get that out there. But uh, I also wanted to, we haven't talked about my two of the, my, my story of the week. Um, I mean, Cara D'Amato better watch out. We have another fully employed, unsponsored 30 plus woman who lives in the Washington DC area. Who's just absolutely crushing it. I thought this was a cool story. Susanna Sullivan who ran at Notre Dame and was no good. She couldn't even score in college 10 years ago, 1656, 36, 14. She's now the cherry blossom 10 mile winner, 52, 32. 
This year alone, she's dropped her PB from 16 flat to 1538, from 3305 to 3203, and from 7256 to 7050. Well, the 7050 wasn't this year. So, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I was going to think, who improves that much in college? I was wondering if Weldon improved that much. No, Weldon, Weldon was like a, an outlier, improving two minutes in his 10K PB from college to pros. This woman has improved by more than four minutes. This is what I was going to say, Robert, is, wait, she wasn't that good in college. She made some improvements after college. She's gained some fame by winning a prominent Washington, D.C. road race. This is the modern-day Weldon Johnson, is it not? Well, I applaud you guys for comparing me to her, but I'll take it. It's my age. I thought about having her on the podcast. Cool story there. But and she wasn't sort of the un, only unheralded American to run well. Um, also, thirty-one years of age, American Lindsay Flanagan, two twenty-six last week to place tenth in the Paris Marathon. But can we end the podcast with another rant? Since I I, I want to push, I, I've done a good job. I think it's been almost like an hour since I pushed the sound effect button, John. I, I like hearing the rant one, so go ahead and push it, Robert. Thank you, Andrew Brick Johnson, for the great sound that you've given us. Is it time to just ban social media entirely? Like we talk about the pressure on the kids or the forum. I mean, I guess with the Let's Run Forum be social media, we can't ban that because then my income goes away. But I do think TikTok needs to be banned. I think it's unhealthy for these young kids. I mean, Donald Trump was right, but he had no idea why we should ban TikTok. We can't have a Chinese government in charge of like what media American kids are reading that it should be banned. But I'm only saying this because like, I just, I don't like social media. Like there was another American in Paris, Ali Kiefer. And People go into social media and it's like, it's just fake news. It's like you post the best of your life on social media, but it's not real. So like the, if you have a terrible week, you have one good thing happen a week. You take a picture of your kid and, oh my God, Robert and his wife and them, they're just crushing in Baltimore. I wish I could be like them, you know, and that's what social media is. It's a fake. It's like, it's just, a, it's like a highlight reel of life. But I mean, Ali Kiefer goes on there and says, I'm ready for Boston, for, for Paris. I haven't raced in a number of years. It wasn't perfect, but it was just amazing. I, I can't wait for this race. And then the race is an absolute disaster, and we don't hear anything. I imagine she's very, very upset. And she it was then the race was an absolute disaster. Look at the stats of the week that was. By the way, folks, if you love the podcast, you're gonna you must love, hopefully you're all reading the week that was. The OG weekly recap, I realize, much imitated, never copied. Everyone else is trying to do weekly recaps now. Yeah, we've been doing it for 10 years here and let's run. So check that out. But I just think that people need to be more honest on social media if they're going to use it as a platform. Like if you post to your fans, Hey, I'm ready for this marathon. You need at least need to tell them afterwards how it went, what went wrong. Even if you're devastated, America is a very forgiving place. Let's see the, the real you. I don't think all social media should be deleted, but I do think, yes, if you're going to hype up a race beforehand, you know, I don't, it doesn't need to be like the day after because maybe you're still grieving, but yeah, it'd be nice to have an update sort of in a fairly timely fashion about how the race went if it didn't go well for you. 
One other thing I wanted to address, we'll talk about this more on the Friday 15, because this time we actually have some stuff to preview this weekend, but the USATF Bermuda Games are on Saturday. A decent number of American stars are running this. You've got Ajay Wilson, Noah Lyles, Grant Holloway is supposed to be in this race. It's going to be a really good meet. In fact, the men's 100, I'm very excited for, because you've got Ronnie Baker, Kenny Bednarik, Johan Blake, Noah Lyles, and then you've got Arian Knighton. The year of Arian Knighton is going to begin with this Bermuda Games race. And then in the 1500, I don't know if you saw the entries here, Robert. Your boy is running the race. Kamar Etiang, the Kenyan, young Kenyan star who did not get to run at the Olympics last year because he wasn't in the testing pool, but you've been hyping him up as the next big thing. He's flying out to Bermuda to run this thing. I expect him to crush everyone in this race, Robert. Anything other than a commanding victory, I'm going to be disappointed for all the hype you've been producing. I don't know anything about his training. I'm just raising as the possibility, given what he did last year. We talked about this potentially at the beginning of the show being the last podcast. I think it is for the last one for John. You guys hear what John just said? He used a racial term. He said, your boy. You should just said, your guy. On Let's Run, when I was talking about my guy, Yared Nagus, and my guy, can they say Bekele? I, I normally would have said my boy, but I specifically changed it because I was like, oh my gosh, someone's going to accuse me of being racist. So I'm sure he didn't mean anything of it. I didn't mean anything by it. I think there's a difference between saying someone's your boy and just calling them boy. It's not like I'm calling it's or calling them, you know, your N word. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, he's my boy. I would say that about my friends. You know, this guy, oh, he's my boy. You know, well, that's I was watching the national championship on Monday night. I was sore in the stands. Paul Pierce was there rooting on Kansas. I'm like, that's my boy. That's Paul Pierce, you know, Celtics legend. And my roommate's like, he kind of jo- he was joking with me. He's like, oh, my boy, can you say, can you say that? Maybe I'm not the one to be deciding these things, but I'd like to still be able to say my boy without being viewed as some racist. Because that's not the intent. Not sure why we need this segment. I was going to scrap it, but reminds me of something I found yesterday. Emailed it to myself. Do you guys know there was an article written 2006 in the Sociology of Sport Journal? Policing the Race, U.S. Men's Distance Running and the Crisis of Whiteness by Teresa Walton of Kent State University and Ted M. Butrin of San Jose State University. And essentially the article just cites Let's Run and how people talk about Craig Modrum differently versus some African runners. It's pretty interesting. That's like an academic look. You know, and do, do we have biases and this sort of stuff? But also found it interesting that the person who sent it to me in 2006, Mark Coogan, who wasn't even, a, he was like, he's got some MIT address. He actually sent it to me in 2008. I just thought it was interesting. I wonder if we can find a link to this thing, P- put it out there on the internet. I'd like to know what their findings were, yeah. These uh, academics, it, it, it seems, it's a 29-page article, so... I will see if I can somehow find a link to it, put it out there. All right. Unless there's anything remaining in Rojo's secret document, 
I think that's going to be do it for this week's episode. Robert, do you have any sort of sound effects to play us out? Maybe. I can't wait till Friday. We also we got Arcadia this weekend. What is Newberry Park going to do? Enjoy the show, John, guys. If Weldon bleeps out my what I said about Eugene, we won't have been canceled. So I think we deserve a round of applause. It's a problem, John. We should only say positive things on this podcast. That's how the rest of the running media seems to operate. All right, guys. Till next week. If you listen this far, you're a true track and field fan. Take your fan to the next level and join the Let's Run.com Supporters Club. You'll get a second podcast every week. We'll be breaking down the USATF Bermuda meet. That is this weekend. Second podcast is every Friday. You can save 20% on running shoes. Go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you're thinking of using a VPN, use Nord. Go to let'srun.com slash VPN to get all the details.